this is the first time that I've been in an organization explicitly focused on systems change. In all of the previous work I've done, it's either been part of the conversation or not at all part of the conversation. I guess more commonly, I see a lot of folks in the social change sector talking about it, grappling with it, but not quite sure how to do it. And then more importantly, on the funder side, there's been very few explicit funding opportunities to pursue that kind of work, which of course has an impact on the nonprofits trying to do the work. Can't we just redesign the systems that don't work? The people I'm having the chance to converse with in different parts of the world are imagining new systems, new collaborations. They're imagining a new world. Welcome to Design Influence. I'm Isabel Swiderski. The private sector has always had an uneasy relationship with the not-for-profit sector. How to engage, when to engage. But things have changed. In this unprecedented era of misinformation, Corporations are having to find new ways to build trust with their audiences. Not-for-profits are also having to find new ways of engaging donors. And social entrepreneurs are having to find ways to attract funding and investors. How are traditional funders viewing this current climate? Recently, I got to sit down with Dara Parker. In her new role as Vice President of Grants and Community Initiatives at Vancouver Foundation, Dara is exploring how to support systems work initiatives. In other words, how to fund and frame long-term efforts at changing the world for the better from a systems perspective. I asked her about the landscape as she sees it, about what happens when the private and third sectors meet, what collaboration means for not-for-profits, and how social entrepreneurship fits in all of it. Vancouver Foundation is the largest community foundation in Canada. Its efforts are centered on helping to build healthy, vibrant, and thriving communities. I could tell Dara was excited about this new opportunity, and with good reason, so I asked her about that first. There were three things that really attracted me to take it on. The first is that the Vancouver Foundation is the largest community foundation in Canada with close to $1.5 billion in assets, which means that last year the Vancouver Foundation granted approximately $60 million, and so the scale excites me being able to play with that pool of charitable dollars is unusual in the Canadian context and even globally it's a fairly significant amount and so I'm really excited about the possibilities that that scale presents. The second piece for me is actually about some of the leadership at the Vancouver Foundation right now. The current CEO Kevin McCourt has initiated a number of changes in what is currently a 76-year-old institution, and I'm really excited by the direction he's taking it in. And that segues into the third big attractor for me is the fact that in the last few years, Vancouver Foundation has explicitly changed their grant-making focus to primarily fund systems change work, and that excites me more than anything. So tell me more about what you mean by systems change work. With the caveat that I'm still learning, my understanding is that as a responsive grant maker, we are focused on tackling root causes and therefore changing the conditions that entrench some of the challenges that we're trying to tackle in the first place. And that systems change. And in fact, when Vancouver Foundation started out, they called it social innovation work. 
and only recently in 2018 shifted the name to systems change work, partly in response to communities better relating to those words than social innovation. So you've had a variety of roles where from smaller community not-for-profits to SVP most recently. Is, are there any common denominators that you see in those models that make you think that they're more effective in effective some of that systems change you're talking about? So the answer is, this is the first time that I've been in an organization explicitly focused on systems change. I guess simply, I think systems change work has been off the sides of our desk and something that people have aspired towards, but I've never been part of a formal funding opportunity to do it. So you think that that's been the main barrier, is that a lot of the funds that are received are earmarked for certain activities? Or what do you think are the other roadblocks that you've witnessed? I do think that the lack of explicit funding for systems change work is a huge barrier. And I couple that with the fact that the sector, the social change sector, the nonprofit sector, exists within very limited resources. And so often nonprofits are in survival mode and that doesn't enable the space, uh, let alone the stability to engage with some of these more complicated questions. But it's not the only barrier. The other barrier I'd offer, and this comes from having been a volunteer community advisor with the Vancouver Foundation for the last two years, which means sitting on their grant review committee and I think in two years, I probably reviewed close to 60 applications that were for systems change work. And that was such a valuable experience because I discovered that personally, I found it really difficult to identify what is systems change work, even with explicit criteria. So I offer that to suggest that it's not just funding that's a barrier, even when there's funding on the table. I watched both organizations and then decision makers struggle to say, okay, is that actually contributing to systems change or is that more of the same? And, and how do we know? So what do you think the role of a larger organization such as Vancouver Foundation can be in accelerating that conversation even before, I guess, the real work? I think there are different opportunities, and because of the scale of the Vancouver Foundation, there's a huge opportunity to influence. And that could materialize in in different ways. Uh, There's an opportunity to convene, and Vancouver Foundation experimented with that in building cohorts around the systems change work and taking them through a workshop process to develop projects and therefore applications to do the work. And as I understand it, there was some success on that and also some challenge. Some of the feedback from participants was that there wasn't a clear purpose or focus. And in my mind, I I marry that with, again, the scarcity in the sector, that unless people are being funded to do this work, then other things are suffering. One of the pieces of feedback that I think is really interesting coming back uh, on a preliminary uh, evaluation of our systems change work is that we haven't done a great job of knowledge sharing. And so, you know, and we're at the early stages of this work. They formally implemented it in 2015 and three years in conducted an evaluation. But I'm certainly curious about what role the Vancouver Foundation can play in building networks and sharing information across organizations and projects and learnings. And then another thing I think we're grappling with is stepping back from sharing that information is, 
even understanding the outcomes. So how are we evaluating what inherently is complex long-term work? So in your previous role as social venture partners, the model there is time and money, where the investment comes from individual philanthropists, and then they contribute some of their expertise to support uh, capacity building and the organizations they support. Are there any learnings from that that might inform the work of, let's say, more traditional granting organizations? Yes, absolutely. And it's interesting because I'll share, I've shared this story a few times that When I started at SVP in 2016, I looked to the Vancouver Foundation as a resource, as the largest grant maker in BC and one of the largest grant makers in Canada to say, okay, how do you do this? And you've probably got it all figured out in very sophisticated systems. And in many realms, they do. And now we do. Uh, But I do think SVP has some strengths that are not present at the Vancouver Foundation. So the SVP model is the hands-on philanthropy approach. And the power of this model is that it doesn't just see the nonprofits as the vehicle for social change, but donors themselves and their own journey in terms of understanding social change and then working in collaboration with nonprofits. And in the SVP case, the gross majority of donors do not come from the social change sector. And to me, there is such an opportunity in that And it's about the personal journeys that we're on around our own belief systems and therefore behavior, for example, in a concrete sense, how we direct our donor dollars, that has huge opportunity to shift the way that social change happens within the charitable sector. And I haven't seen that to be a core aspect of the Vancouver Foundation model. It's much more traditional in that sense. While there are uh, community members who are engaged with all of the grant making, and I was one of those people as a community advisor, I don't see us meaningfully engaging our funders in in this very hands-on applied approach. I see a much more traditional engagement method. And so I'm curious about what that would take, understanding that the SVP model is, is a high cost model. Like it's, it's quite resource intensive because to engage people and, and take them on that learning journey, it's high touch and therefore high cost. Do you see, what are some of the mechanisms that you see that already exist or could easily be put in place easily, quote unquote, to facilitate the collaboration between those two sectors? So the mm. social entrepreneurs or the for-profit corporate world and the traditionally philanthropic world? So I think my most relevant insight into this is my work at SVP over the last three years. I had two fundamental stakeholder groups, which were nonprofits, and then our donor group, who we refer to as partners, who were the ones who provided time and money to support nonprofits. However, our donors primarily, and by primarily, I think 95% of our network came from the private sector. And why I name that is that there were two very different cultural norms in the for-profit world and the not-for-profit world, but we shared a common goal through our work at SVP, which was to help more children and youth reach their full potential. And this is a long-winded response to suggest that I do think there are some artificial boundaries. I think there are some very real, real cultural distinctions 
And I think part of the solution to leveraging the talent from multiple sectors is to work really hard on that cultural translation, to build those bridges so that we're speaking common language. And, and uh, I mean that somewhat literally. In, in my instance, everyone was speaking English, but how we talked about uh, strategic planning versus business plans, for example, or revenue development versus fundraising, even little language choices like that, sometimes folks got lost. And that was sort of just the tip of the iceberg in terms of uh, the values and belief systems that underpin those cultural differences that I think often got in the way. And sometimes it was simply the perception of difference that got in the way, but it still required what I refer to as cultural translation to build those bridges, to find the common ground, to work together and I think something important to mention here is that there, like in the world, power exists and the hierarchy of power that exists prioritizes knowledge from the private sector over knowledge from the nonprofit sector more often than not. And I saw this play out consistently where the for-profit sector came in to save and teach the non-for-profit sector. So that doesn't work, in my opinion. It really uh, negates some of the brilliance of the nonprofit sector. However, I think there's a lot to learn from the private sector. Uh, the, the trick is acknowledging the unique value that each sector can bring and, and being able to provide a space for mutual learning. Uh, so one of the criticisms of the for-profit sector partnering with the not-for-profit sector is that we often get biz-splained. And... And in fact, I think that the not-for-profit sector could really benefit from a, some more kind of business uh, approach in certain instances. Like personally, I've benefited so, benefited so greatly from knowledge from the private sector. However, like I said, it's a two-way street. And so I would love to like up the ability to do some non-profit splaining to the business sector and to tap into some things that I know the business sector would just... You know, if they could even have a fraction of our employee engagement and passion, that would translate into significant revenue or at least, you know, cost differing in the private sector. And I think there are other examples of what the not-for-profit sector brings. So very long answer to suggest that I think there are opportunities for collaboration and maybe the key is building our capacity around cultural translation so that we have facilitators between the sectors that can bridge those gaps. We talk about collaboration a lot and it seems that collaboration in theory is all fine and good, but collaboration in practice is quite difficult. What's your thought on collaborating to accelerate this impact that we can have? When I talk about nonprofit splitting, this is another good example of something that the not-for-profit sector has been doing forever, sometimes at our own incentive, sometimes because funders demand that we do this in response to what I see as a common criticism of, there are too many nonprofits doing the same thing, why don't you collaborate more? And I think, fair enough, sometimes that's well-placed. It costs money to collaborate and funders need to recognize that they need to invest resources in, in core operations so that we can do that effectively. And then most importantly, I'd offer that I come to the place where I'm not sure collaboration is always the right answer. 
I think that it's something that's thrust upon the not-for-profit sector with the assumption that this is a good thing and we will do better working together, and that's not a good enough reason, in my opinion, to do so. Partly because it is a resource-intensive exercise if you want to get it right, and so I think we should be a lot more deliberate about how and when we use that word, that concept, that call to organizations to collaborate, to really think about why how much will this cost? Uh, does this make sense in the end? And what are potentially some of the trade-offs of working in collaboration? So I think collaboration is excellent. I, I think we should continue to do so, to prioritize it in some instances. I just want to make sure we don't think that collaboration is the ultimate answer and to name that it's not always going to be beneficial. Do you think, what do you think the place of social entrepreneurship is in this sort of kind of in-between world, let's say, between the for-profit and not-for-profit world? How do you see it in your world? Is it, is it present somewhere on the map? When I hear the word social entrepreneurship or social enterprise, my first question to whoever's just said it is, what do you mean when you say that? Because there, in my experience, is no common definition. Which is not to say, usually what somebody's getting at is there's some kind of earned revenue stream in whatever social change model, but you're naming them as hybrids, you know, ultimately, sometimes they are hybrids. Sometimes it's a not-for-profit with a corporate arm, so that's a hybrid. Uh, often they've made a choice to be a not-for-profit or a for-profit, but they define themselves as a social enterprise first and foremost, and I'm always fascinated by, okay, well, what led to that choice around what legal entity you want to be in is that culturally informed which in my experience it most often is that i talked earlier about the very distinct cultures in the for-profit and not-for-profit world and when i kind of press on this well okay you're a social entrepreneur but you chose to be a not-for-profit or you chose to be a for-profit the reasons they give me are often about where their cultural values align <laughs> and so that's interesting in answer to that question, I don't have a values judgment based on the concept of social enterprise. I think you have to get a lot clearer on what kind of social change are you trying to affect and therefore is this the right model? Is this the right vehicle in order to achieve that? So, so I feel sort of values neutral on the concept of social enterprise with the caveat that like many things that become popular, I've seen an enormous amount of time and resources uh, directed towards supporting social entrepreneurship as the next vehicle for social change. And I think in response to some of the frustrations with traditional charity models, and I appreciate those frustrations. However, I also see an enormous amount of infrastructure for known infrastructure isn't the right word. I still see the gross majority of organizations in the social change space are charitable, yet the resources and energy being dedicated to social enterprise is the next big thing is disproportionate to the number that exists. And, and that challenges me a little bit just to say, not again, not an either or, but it almost feels like the shiny new object that is pulling away core resources um, from longstanding organizations because it's shiny and new. So let's say for the purpose of this conversation, we'll define social enterprise as a for-profit entity who has a mixed financial and social environmental impact mission built in. So they will develop usually a product or service that is aimed at a vulnerable population, 
but deriving a profit for it and therefore hopefully being self-sustaining and, and having the ability to scale at some point. So if as an enterprise I can generate profit and revenue and therefore I'm validated by investors by the market, does that help us achieve more good? Does it have the potential to do that? Those are three different questions, Isabel. I absolutely think it has potential to do that. I think the reason I said it depends on your goal is, and there's a deeper philosophical question embedded within, within this that I don't have the answer to, but it upholds the system of capitalism. And, and, and yes, and, and as someone who works within systems to affect change, I understand the value in doing so and using existing indicators and validators and also the, the literal value of wealth to affect change. And of course I see the potential. And I don't think there's a, an either or scenario in the question of how to do social good. So yes to all of that. Also, I'm a consumer. Like, I'm, like, I have not stepped outside of the capitalist system. In fact, I really enjoy buying avocados, you know? So there are lots of things that I'm purchasing and participating in, and enabling conscious consumers to have better options is 100% brilliant. I just don't think it's that answer. And I didn't hear from you that it was, but sometimes, especially with entrepreneurs stepping into the social impact space, I am hearing that, that this is the answer. If we just do business better, we will change everything. I'm not convinced of that. Why are you not convinced of that? What do you, what do you think are the shortfalls that are obvious to you? I think there are obvious shortfalls in capitalism and therefore we can't solve problems with the same systems that created them. Just leading back to, to, to then the understanding that you have and the scale that's possible in your new role, what would feel personally to you like success in the, in, let's say in the next two years or in the next five years, whatever feels comfortable for you? I can offer an answer, but I think the most honest one is that I don't know yet. I've been thinking exhaustively about what I can contribute. Certainly going through the interview process, I was doing a lot of thinking and talking and reflection, but I think it's too early. However, I know some of the strengths I bring. I see myself as being excellent at building the container to enable people to thrive and do their best work. So I feel like I'm coming into the Vancouver Foundation not as a technical expert. I do not have the answers to how you do systems change work. I'm not sure they exist very clearly. I, I'm certainly searching for them. However, I don't see myself as being there to contribute the answers. Rather, I think I'm excellent at facilitating processes that bring in a multiplicity of voices that ultimately push us to do better and better work. And I'm also hungry for change. And I think that urgency, I feel, helps drive us towards action and experimentation. And I'm willing to take risks and iterate. And I think that I can, I think that my energy and passion for this work uh, can be infectious. And so part of that building the container is helping everybody see their piece in this sort of enormous puzzle. 
and therefore being motivated to contribute to something that's larger than ourselves. Dara Parker is Vice President of Grants and Community Initiatives at Vancouver Foundation in Vancouver, Canada. I'm Isabel Swiderski, and this is Design Influence.